So Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, pressing presupposes opposition. I can't press against this pulpit unless it opposes me. If it didn't oppose me, a hand would have just gone through it. It would have been easy. But when Paul said, I press, he said, it's not a stroll in the park. We have an adversary, don't we? That makes it as difficult as he can. But you know what? We've got an adversary that don't even have the keys to his own house. Well, come on, somebody. I want you to think about that for a moment. The devil is a lying, filthy dog. That means anything he says to you is a lie. He's the father of lies. So if he tells you you're not going to make it or it's not yours, you honey, that's the best time to shout. <laughs> that means he just lied to you. That means it is yours in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Amen. Let me preach this morning for a few moments and, uh, and share with you out of my heart today. God bless you. <clears throat> Failure and success are predictable. Within the DNA of creation, God has already placed the ability to succeed. Birds don't have to learn how to fly. They just automatically, when they're pushed out of the nest, they just start flying. A fish or doesn't really have to learn how to swim. It starts swimming the moment its scales hit the water. If you take a seed and plant it in the ground, if you'll give it a little bit of moisture, it will produce fruit. Within that is the ability to succeed. Everything that God has put in you gives you the ability to be successful. As a matter of fact... Maybe I can do it best by this way. I've got with me a cell phone. Does anybody know who made that? Do what manufacturer made that? Anybody have a clue? Apple, how, how would you know Apple made that? The manufacturer has put its image on this that says, anybody that says it, sees it, says, that was made by Apple. So when God is around the throne room of heaven, he looks around and says, let us make man in our own what? God's image is within you. Just like, in a similar way, Apple's image is on that iPhone. God's image is within you and I. Now, the manufacturer of my iPhone says that when you buy this phone, it's going to have a manual that's going to come with it. And that manual is a list of rules and laws that if you will obey what the manual says, then they guarantee you that this product will operate the way it's supposed to operate. 
Now, every once in a while, people like to come up with their own rules and laws about these things. I mean, you know, you variate away from what the manufacturer says and how you need to treat it, you're probably going to have a problem with your product. That's why your hair dryer's got a little tag on it that says, do not operate near water. Right? It's why uh, I'm driving Chris's truck this weekend. Thank you. Nice truck. It's made by General Motors. You know, there, it's why that when the tank gets on E, you don't go to the garden hose and fill it up with water. You could if you wanted to. You could fill it up with sweet tea. Orange juice. I mean, you could put anything in it you want to, but the manufacturer says, if you want it to operate right, you better put unleaded gasoline in it. Now, the point I'm trying to make to you is this, is that the manufacturer will warranty their product, and it's not because they like me. Apple doesn't even know me. The only thing they like about me is that I bought their product. They like their product, so they put their image on their product. So they warranty their product not for me, they warranty it for them. Because they don't want their product to get a bad reputation, and then nobody else will want to buy their product that's why I say to you that God feels about you and I the same way he placed his image within us because God wants to guarantee your success because he wants his name to be respected and adored throughout this land the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that God hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. That means that before you were conceived, my birthday is September the 28th. I'm 27 ways, days away from being 61 years old. You might want to put that in your calendar. Some of the other ones might want to put that in there as well. Just playing with you. Everybody but him. I'm not playing with him. You see, here's what. In other words, I wasn't established in the heart and mind of God on September the 28th, 1958. Me and Brother Hall and all of us were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Now, you say, well, that's pretty big. Well, it's God that did it. He's a pretty big guy. I mean, let's, let's talk about it for just a moment. That, you know, he, he, the Bible says that he establishes the end from the beginning. That's in the Bible. So, in other words, before I was begun, I was ended. He already established my end, and then he backed up and began. 
That's why he's Alpha and Omega. That's why that he said in Jeremiah 29 11, we all know that verse, for I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So in other words, within us, God has already established our ability to succeed, but we've got to read the owner's manual. And we've got to obey the owner's manual. And we've got to operate according to the owner's manual. And we can't deviate out on our own like we'd put water in our car. You can't decide, well, no, I'm just going to do this a different way. Listen, you do it a different way, you're going to pay the price for that. There are consequences to your actions. We are, in a lot of ways, products of our environment. But most of all, we're products of our decisions. So when you make a decision that is contrary to what the maker wanted his image and his product to operate by, you're going to suffer consequences that you did not see into your future. Now, we've all at times went to God and said, God, show me your will. We could do that for us individually. We could do that for us corporately. I've said this before. I may have even said it here, so pardon me for saying it again. But right before I moved to Alaska, I bought a 2012 Chevrolet Traverse SUV all-wheel drive. When I had that thing shipped to Anchorage, Alaska, I found out something amazing about that SUV. I found out that when I turned the headlights on that SUV, those headlights could shine all the way from Anchorage, Alaska to my personal home in Gardendale, Alabama, over 4,500 miles. Now, it only did it in increments of 300 feet. You with me? In other words, I'd go out beating and drive, and I'd see a stop sign, I'd turn left. My lights would shine all the way to that stop sign, and when I turned left, it would shine all the way down to the highway. And when I got to the highway, I'd have to turn right to get out on the interstate, and it would shine about another 300 feet, and it would shine all the way home in about 300 feet increments. That is the way God's will operates in our lives. Do you think that Teresa Holder, on June the 13th, 1981, would have stood at an altar of prayer with me and said, Now, before you say I do, I just want you to know that God has shown me the next 38-plus years of our life. And we're going to leave here and live at your father's house for three months. Help us, Lord. But then we're going to get our first full-time position as a youth pastor in Middletown, Ohio. And then we're going to go from Middletown, Ohio to Minot, North Dakota. And then from Minot, North Dakota to Little Rock, Arkansas, and Little Rock, Arkansas to Akron, Ohio. Then from Akron, Ohio, we're going to go to uh, Farmington Hill or uh, Fenton, Michigan. And from Fenton, Michigan, we're going to go to Farmington Hills, Michigan. And then from Farmington Hills, we're going to go to Chattanooga. Chattanooga is going to take us to Loxley. Loxley is going to take us to Birmingham. Birmingham is going to take us to Anchorage. Anchorage is going to take us to Edmond, Oklahoma. And guess what? Edmond, Oklahoma is going to send us to Columbia, Maryland. How many of you think Teresa would have said, I do, if I'd have known that? She had probably called time out for just a moment and said, let me pray about this for a moment. 
You see, God does not show us the next 35 to 40 years of our life. The will of God is the next step you take in obedience to God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, I'm bringing this to somewhere because I want to talk about the Southern Hills Church of God for a moment. Because not only does God have a will for your life, he has a will for this church. That's why you've not died. That's why you've not sold. That's why you're moving forward. That's why great things are happening. Because God has a plan for the Southern Hills Church of God. And to help us understand that, I want to take you for a moment to the book of Luke. And, and I want to talk to you about a story. Now, we're not going to read this whole passage because it's long. But in Luke chapter 15, you're going to need your Bible. And we're going to look for a moment at, at what God has to say about His image on Southern Hills Church of God. Because God wants to protect His image in this church. Because He wants this community, when they see this church, to have a proper understanding of who God really is. You with me? You ever flown on an airplane? I've been on a bunch of flights now. I got on an airplane Friday, and Teresa and I met her in Atlanta. She was in Birmingham, and we met in Atlanta, and we flew to Oklahoma City. And you know those stewardesses, they, they get up, and they start going through all these signs. You know, this is what you do if the, if, to buckle your seatbelt. And this is if, you know, if these things fall out of the, the ceiling, you put them on, you put yours on first, and you put your children. I have heard that hundreds of times. You know what, I've got to the point where I don't even listen to it anymore. I kind of give them that fake like I'm watching, but I'm not watching. They even tell you that you can reach and pull out your seat cover, cushion, and use it as a floating device. And I've often thought, where would I use that between Atlanta and Oklahoma City unless we hit the Mississippi River? The point I'm trying to make to you <laughs> is that sometimes we hear things so often, we take them for granted. This morning, I'm going to take 20 minutes, and I'm going to tell you something that you've heard before. And you'd better be careful. We had better be careful. I had better be careful not to take what God is trying to say for granted. Here's why. He cares about his image. He cares about what the world thinks about us. He cares about when they drive by the highway and see Southern Hills Church of God, he wants to make sure that they have the proper understanding of who God is through the body of believers at the Southern Hills Church of God. Okay? So he tells three stories. He talks about 100 sheep, 10 coins, and he talks about one son. He says, who would have 100 sheep and notice that he's counting heads one day, that he's got 99 of them, and there's only one that he cannot count? What would that guy do? Well, Parables, and these parables are representative of God. Okay? 
when he talks about the shepherd, when he talks about the woman looking for coins, when he talks about the father who has a lost son, he has given us a proper understanding of God's heart. He wants us to understand what God thinks about these things. So he said, if I got a guy that's got a hundred people in his church, he can't be happy if 99 of them are okay. He's got to make sure that he understands that he's got to care about all of them. So what does he do? He takes the 99, he'll put them somewhere in a fold, a sheep fold. I've had a shepherd explain that to me in Israel before, how they will put them in a little cove and protect it. As a matter of fact, usually when the shepherd is not out looking for sheep, the shepherd is the gate to the fold. In other words, when he's got them up against a rock so that no wolves can get to them, he's the one that's standing there making sure that nothing comes in and nothing goes out. But in this case, he's got 99 he's taken care of, and the Bible said he goes out looking for the one. You with me now? Now, I want you to notice that it was Jesus, or the shepherd in this case, that initiated the search party. He's the one that said, I got to go find this sheep that is lost. I read a story not long ago, I think it was in a magazine, flying from Alaska to wherever I was going. And it talked about this uh, place in Ireland, on the coast of Ireland, that had a lot of shipwrecks because of storms. So they built a little rescue mission, and they would go out when there was a shipwreck, and they would rescue people. And after a time, they got so busy, they decided they need a bigger rescue home or a, a facility station. So they built this really nice station, and they decorated it really nice. And it was just a beautiful place, and when there wasn't a shipwreck, the community would use it for other gatherings. They would kind of have a little community there in their station and one day after they built their new station and they were having all these activities there was a shipwreck and they went and rescued the people and brought them into the station and the station was made a mess so when it was all said and done there became disruptiveness within the membership and they basically said we can't have this happening to our beautiful station anymore we spent too much money on the carpet. We've spent too much money on the chairs. We can't do that anymore. And there became a division among the church or among the station about what they would do with their station. So a group of them went down and built another station. I thought, these are preach. I know churches that have done that before. You know, we start out, I don't know how old this church is. I'm sure it's been around a long time. We start out where we are in the soul-saving business. But if we're not careful, we'll get so comfortable with our surroundings and what God has provided that we won't be interested in those that come in that don't quite look like we look or act like we act. And God says, no. I put my stamp on you because there's always going to be one out there that I need you to go get. I just wonder. I've been here, I think I've preached here two or three times, and so I don't know your history like some of you in the church that know your history, but I just wonder how many names we could come up with today 
If we put on a piece of paper, the people within a 15 to 20 mile radius of this church that used to come to church and be involved in church but are no longer an active participant in church anymore. I, you know, I, I would say that might be quite a lengthy list. And you know what I believe the Lord would say to us? Let's initiate a search party. Let's, let's go find those folks that used to be. Now, maybe they're in another church, and God bless them. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with those that aren't in church at all. I have a problem that don't have a relationship with God at all. It's so easy for us to lose our priorities. It's so easy for us to get to the point where we, we don't really make it a priority to do what we were originally put here in this case, in Oklahoma City, to do. And then he talks about a woman. A woman had ten coins. As a matter of fact, look at verse 8. What woman having ten pieces of silver? If she loses one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the place which I had lost, peace that I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus cares about the quality of life in this church. But he also, apparently, cares about the quantity of people in this church. I mean, let's face it. You know... There's an old saying that says, part of something's better than all of nothing. You got nine, what are you worried about? Yeah, I had ten, though. So the Bible says in the story that she gets a candle and she begins to search for the coin that she lost. Sometimes... We lose people because they just wander off. Sometimes we lose people because of something we did. Well, you see, in the first story, he talks about 99 sheep that were safe, but one that was lost. But in this story, he talks about 10 coins that this woman had, but now she only has nine. The story is told that when we get to heaven, there may be two questions asked of us. The first one is this. Did you come alone? Hopefully we won't answer yes to that. Hopefully we'll answer no to that. Hopefully we'll say no, we brought people with us. Now this is just a story. It's not in the Bible. You're going to be asked this question. But a great evangelist by the name of Billy Graham asked it, so I thought I'd ask it today. And he says, let's imagine then if, if the second question you're asked is why. Let me tell you something. I want my kids to make it. I want my grandkids to make it. I want all my family to make it. I want everybody I know to make it. I want you to make it. I hope you want me to make it. I'm your brother, and you're my brother and sister. I want us all to make it. I want us all to be a part of the kingdom of God. And what God is trying to say to us here is that everyone matters. 
And what I want you to see is that he says that Jesus, in this case the woman, is persistently searches. The Bible says she seeks diligently for the coin until she finds it. There you go. In other words, it never tells us that she gives up. It says she takes, I don't know how long it took her. It might have been an hour. It might have been a day. It might have been a week. It might have been a year. The Bible doesn't tell us how long she took trying to find this coin. But the Bible said she searched until she found it. There is a good place for evangelism. Right there. I have learned in two years living in this, this area that this entire Oklahoma City region, there is not a shortage of sinners. You work with some of them. You live by some of them. Of all the people that come to Christ, I saw this on your Facebook page the other day. I think it was Chris or somebody that posted it. About the large percentage of people that come to church because somebody simply invited them to church. Wouldn't buy advertisement or a billboard. That was like 1 or 2% wasn't by a radio or television ad. That was like 3 or 4%. It was a personal involvement of your life into their life to help them come to a soul-saving station to be introduced to Jesus Christ. That, when we do that, builds the reputation and the image of God's name on this church. I read somewhere about the 40 healing miracles that are found in the Gospels. 34 of the 40 people that were healed by Jesus were brought to Jesus by someone else. 6% of them, Jesus found his own, on his own. The rest came to Jesus for their healing because somebody said, come. Go with me to the Father. Go with me to the Lord. And let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. Does that, does that speak to us today? My desire, and it has nothing to do with the fact that my son pastored. I says my desire when I was overseer here. My desire is to see this church be a soul-saving station in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. To where people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That people come and experience the healing power of God. And the delivering power of God. And the awesome presence of God. That is what you want. That is what we all want. Amen. That is what we all want. And then he talks about a son. This son decided... That he didn't want to be around daddy's house anymore. So he goes to dad and he says, I'll take my inheritance now. And he got his inheritance. The Bible doesn't say there was a big discourse about it. I don't know what went on. We don't know. All we know is the next line says the father gave him what he asked for. And he takes off to sow his wild oats in the world. You know what? We are truly free moral agents, aren't we? We can truly make our own decisions for our life. You didn't have to come to church on this Labor Day weekend. Look at this crowd. This is a beautiful crowd for a holiday weekend. You made a decision, a conscious effort to be here today. You decided you wanted to be a... This son decided he didn't want to be a part of that anymore. 
So you know the story. I'm not going to go in depth. There's 21 verses talking about the story. And he gets to out in the world. He spends all of his money. He starts working for a farmer that has a bunch of swine. He would understand that he didn't have money to buy food. He would even eat the husk that the pigs would eat. And in the middle of that, Brother Hall, he has a remembrance of his father's house. He said, you know what? I'll just go back and tell Dad, Dad, I'll come back, and I don't, I don't need to be a son anymore because my dad's servants have a roof over their head. My dad's servants, they, they have food to eat on their table. I, Dad, He said, I'm going to tell Dad I don't need to be a son anymore just as long as I can have food and shelter. And the Bible said, on his way back home, here's what the Bible says, the father saw him afar off. Now, let me give you a little insight into Middle Eastern culture. If you were the father of your group, of your clan, you were the chief cook and bottle washer. You were the head. You were respected in your community. You were honored by your community. Thank you. I called Chris this morning. I said, I forgot my handkerchief. And uh, thank you. God, there's a special reward in heaven for you. Amen. Oh. Lord bless and keep you and his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. Amen. And uh, I, uh, where was I at? Okay, yes. And the son, the Bible said, he saw him afar off. And the father, who was this patriarch, he was the, he was the one respected that everybody looked to. The Bible says that he went running. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I read a book about the, called The Prodigal. And it talks about the fact that when they would run, they wore these robes. When they would run, they had to pull their robes up and kind of hold on to them so that they wouldn't trip on the bottom of their robe. And for the leader of that home to reveal a portion of his bare legs was one of the most humiliating personal things that someone of his status could do. The second thing was is that the son, he didn't wait for him to come to him, but he took off running for his son. That was another act of humiliation. And then when he gets to him, stand up, he grabs him and he braces him. The Bible says he, he gets his neck, he holds his neck because he found his son. His son has come home. That was the third act because the father took the initiative, not the son. When you think about that for a moment, it's a very powerful thought. Because you see, lost sheep represent people that are lost. And they know that they're lost. I mean, a sheep is not a really smart animal. That's why you and I are called sheep. Sorry. I, I got myself in that number. We're sheep. We're not really smart. A sheep will literally, a shepherd told me, will literally graze himself off of a cliff. Because he never looks up. He just keeps on eating, keeps on grazing. That's why they get lost. They're never looking up, they're never looking for signs, and they get lost. They know they're lost, but they don't know what to do about the fact they're lost. So they need the shepherd to go find them. 
The coin represents people that are lost and they don't have a clue that they're lost. You know people like that? They have no idea. They see something different about us, but they don't really need it, they think. That's a really challenge sometimes to reach those kind of people. You find atheists in that group, don't you? You find people that, you know, are very uh, standoffish to faith and people of faith and people of God. You got those that are lost, they don't have a clue they're lost. You got those that are lost like the sheep, they know they're lost. But then you got the sun. The sun represents people that are lost. They know that they're lost, they said. And they know what to do about it. God's stamp is on this church to reach all three groups. Those that are lost don't know they're lost. Those that are lost don't know what to do about the fact they're lost. And those that are lost, and they know what to do about it. Guess which one of them God didn't go looking for? Isn't that interesting? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't. I just think it's a point that we need to realize there are people out there in the world, they know that if they don't change their ways, they're going to go into eternity without God. What do you do in a case like that? You show them through a church like this that there is, it is worth their time to walk into a building like this and walk to a place that we sense the presence of God in this and make this a part of habit of their life to be in the presence of God every week. I'll tell you what, son. Pastoring, it gets harder by the day. I feel ill-equipped in a lot of ways. I went to Lee. Thank God for it. Thank you for your faithfulness of Lee. And I think you just started a new scholarship. I applaud you for that. We all love Lee. Lee's got a great history through this church. And you've got a great history with Lee through this church. But let me tell you, I went to Lee. But I don't think they prepared me for a lot of stuff we're going through right now. I'm not blaming them for it. They didn't know either. I mean, I would it. You better start playing softly. I know. That, that, won't, that won't shorten me up any, but it'll make you feel a whole lot better. <laughs> now sexual identity is questioned. And I know we had that then. I understand that. But, man, not like we do now. I mean, you know, you know what? I'll be honest with you. If the Bible, if the Bible said, if the Bible said, that I could marry people of the same sex, I'd do it. If the Bible said it, I'd do it. Problem is, the Bible don't say that. So I can't do it. That does not mean that I hate people that have a different sexual identity than me. I do not hate them. The Nicolaitans were a people that compromised their convictions. The Bible did not say that God hated the Nicolaitans. The Bible said that God hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. 
You with me? I do not hate people that do not believe like I believe. I may hate their deeds only because what the Bible tells me about that. You and I are adversarial to a world system that's infected by the leaven of Herod. Remember when Jesus gets in the boat and says, Beware of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees? The leaven of Herod is humanism, atheism. The leaven of Herod says, I'm in a boat without any bread. Remember he said, Why do you reason that you have no bread? So the next time, I'll go to the store and get some bread. I'll fix the problem. That spirit has infected world governments, including our own. So we'll write a law. We'll make a decision to fix the problem. There are some things about our country and world, world nations that a human law cannot fix. It's going to take a God encounter. The leaven of the Pharisees is a spirit of religion. Whatever you do here at Southern Hill, don't you ever become religious. Don't you get religious. Pharisees were religious. The Bible said, and the Pharisees, quote, who were lovers of money. They'd give their offerings, before I give it, blow the horn, ring a bell. I want everybody to stop and see that the preacher is getting ready to put money in the offering plate. And sure enough, that's why Jesus walked in one day and turned over the tables. Because he was sick and tired of them taking God's house and making it a place of merchandise. They had become religious. Why did he do that? Because his image had been tarnished by their actions. Guys, I'm not talking about bread. Why do you think I'm talking about bread? Remember, he gets in a boat. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I'm not, but let's assume that I am talking about bread. Didn't 5,000 people show up the other day? They sure did, God. What did we do? We took a little boy's lunch. Five boys in what happened? Everybody got fed? What, what was left? Twelve basketfuls. Didn't 4,000 people show up the other day? Sure did. What happened? Well, we had seven loaves started out with. What happened? Everybody get fed? Yep, everybody got fed. Well, what was left? We had the same amount at the end of what we started with. And basically, Jesus looks at him and says, so what's your problem? Haven't already proven to you that as long as you're with me, bread will never be an issue. Anybody here received an answered prayer? Let me see it. How about, let's, let's, take it, let's take it up a notch. Anybody here ever, you could say I've received a miracle in my life from God? Okay, hey, hey keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Look, I want you to look around. Take, take a minute. You're not going to offend the service. It ain't going to bother me. I want you to see probably over half. Let me tell you what that is. That's a tutor. It's a reminder. Which God's saying, whatever I did for you then, don't you ever question that I cannot do it again. If I did it once, 
I can do a two and three and five and 20 and 50 and a thousand if I need to. Don't you ever reason that I, you have no bread. Don't you ever reason that God can't provide what you need. Don't you ever reason that God cannot have a powerful image through the ministry of the Southern Hills Church of God. So what's our answer? Our answer is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all this stuff that we desire, all these things that we're praying for, He says, will be added unto you. Stand with me in this building. me to edify the Southern Hills Church of God. That means build up. I want you to leave here more positive about God than the way you came. And you probably already came very positive. But if I don't build you up, I failed you. We've just had a service and nothing happened. If I haven't been, if I've torn you down, I failed you. I want to build you up. I want to tell you that I preach in a lot of pulpits and I've been in a lot of places and God has blessed Teresa and I to serve a lot of areas. We have a mandate. And that mandate is to raise up a generation that demonstrates the raw power of God. Not what man has made it, but what God wants it to be. I don't know what God will do in your life today. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want you to stand there with the reality, with your faith, that if God needs to, He can raise the dead in here. He can bring that rebellious child home today. He can fix your bank account by Tuesday morning. He can give you a different doctor's report that gives you healing. He can touch that husband or that spouse and turn their heart toward you. You heard his story. He was dying. He was 16 years old and dying. And God sent an African-American lady into a hospital room and prayed the prayer of faith over him. Or I would have preached his funeral. What? 16, 17 years ago. It was a miracle. And what God is saying to you not, don't you question. Because my name has been put on you. And I have given you rules and laws to obey. My image is at stake. And I'm invested, God is saying, in your success. Because your success means that my name is not tarnished. So God says, I have put into you everything that you need to be successful. So get to the book and find out what the rules are and start obeying the rules and stop going out on your own and stop trying to put something in the tank that don't belong there. 
and be what I have made you to be. A soul-saving station. And let me say this, and I'm, I'm done. Don't be a church. I see this way too much where I go. Don't be a church that leaves their newborns at the altar. We get people saved. We shake their hand, hug their neck. And we don't offer them any program for discipleship or for equipping. When people get saved in your altars, they need to immediately be moved in to a word-centered teaching ministry. Don't leave your babies. Who, what mother would give birth to a baby in a hospital and leave the baby there? She said, give me my clothes, let's get my suitcase, I'm out of here, do with it whatever you want. No, that's not what a mother does takes that baby home and she nurtures that baby and nourishes that baby and if she doesn't think she can we provide programs of adoption to where somebody else can take that baby and nurture that baby and nourish that baby that's our job as the body of Christ train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old he will not depart from it so let me pray for you I've gone too long it's 1220. It's your holiday weekend. Enjoy your family. I'm going to enjoy mine. But before I leave, please let me pray this prayer over this church. Because my heart yearns to see you be everything that you know that God has called you to be. Father, now, whatever you have to move on earth or in heaven, There's a people here that has a hunger for you and a desire to be used by you. Lord, I pray that every system this church needs to be effective will become operative. I saw the first one they need today in action. It's working already. Their system of prayer, their discipline of prayer, that's key. So, Father, you said if my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, that's what we're already doing. So, Father, you're going to respond to that. Lord, our systems of accountability financially, our system of discipleship, all of our systems of equipping leaders, all of our systems of sending people out, like you sent the 70, you sent 35 groups of two out, according to Luke 10 and 1. To reach those lost people that didn't know they were lost. The lost people that didn't know how to get back from where they was. And the ones that were lost and knew what to do about it. You sent people out to do it. 